everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be here with you. We have a great show for you today. It's like a double decker of a show. First, we're going to be talking about the United Auto Workers, their exciting strike, what's waiting in store for them, for us, for the country, for the world. We're really, you know, going bird's eye view here. Uh, And then we're going to be talking to people about Climate Week and climate change uh, and why they got arrested blocking uh, the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, before we bring on our amazing guests, and we really are so excited, it's a great show, a bunch of rock stars. They're all rock stars. Before we bring on our guests, um, just want to invite everyone, of course, to like the stream. Look, Brad took the words right out of my mouth. Like the stream, uh, share the stream, uh, hit the like button, subscribe. To subscribe, you just hit subscribe, and then you hit the bell. And we are uh, past 100,000 subs, which is great. I was supposed to get a trophy or something, but I don't know where it is. They never sent it to me. But uh, just so you guys know, that's where we're at with the a trophy. Pla- a plaque, Katie. A that, plaque. I don't know. Someone else asked me the other day, did you get your your trophy? So I feel like maybe your man's, your trophy's blaming me, uh, Brad. I think it really yeah. was a trophy. Sorry. Think, yeah. That's yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Plaque's blaming, trophy's blaming, <laughs> man's blaming. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> We have a great show. I'm so excited about it. But before we bring on our guests, okay, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. Become Patreon if you can support it. Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. That's Patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And if you can support it for $1 a month, which is like less than a slice of pizza, depending on where you're living, then you just get to make this show happen because it literally, not to sound corny or like NPR, but we really couldn't uh, happen. The show could not happen without your support. Uh, or if you can afford the $5 a month, uh, then you get access to like twice as much show because we give you exclusive uh, Patreon-only exclusive content, which is usually an extended interview or a totally separate interview. So um, also before I bring on our guests, which is going to happen in like a, literally a minute, I have an exciting announcement, which is that my documentary, Commie Camp, is going to be uh, playing in New York City, and then it'll be for sale. Here, I'm just doing a little screen share. Uh, If you're in the New York City area, you can come down to DCTV, Downtown Community Television Center. That's not like Washington, D.C. thing. So it's DCTV. It's on 87 Lafayette. And uh, my movie, Comedy Camp, will be screening uh, Wednesday, October 4th at 6.30. So uh, it's not on sale. like It's being advertised, but you can't get tickets yet. So I'll let you know when you can. Alrighty. Uh, it's going to be a great, a great, and I'll, I'll be there, of course. Okay, so I'm going to bring on our first segment guests, and those are the UAW guests. So we're going to be talking to Chris Falzone, who is a rank-and-file United Auto Workers member who is on strike at, at Stella Delantis' Toledo Assembly Complex, otherwise known as, formerly known as Chrysler. Chrysler. Right? Did I get that right? Okay, Chris. Welcome, Chris. It's nice to be here. Thank you for coming. And that is right. That's the right 
the right it's, name, it's, right? It's Stellantis. Stellantis, but that used or, to be. It used to be Chrysler before okay. that. Yeah, it was Fiat Chrysler. It's changed so All much. All right. So the the company formerly known as Chrysler. Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. And we are in solidarity with your uh, striking. So thank you for doing that. that. Um, and of course, we'll share at the end um, or during the stream, we're going to ask uh, the guests about where people can donate to support that strike. Then we're also being joined by Marcelina Pedraza, a member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers and United Auto Worker Local 551 at Ford Chicago Assembly Plant. Hi, Marcelina. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. And... Max Alvarez, a labor journalist, editor-in-chief of the Real News Network, the host of the Working People podcast and author of The Work of Living, Working People Talk About Their Lives and the Year the World Broke. Max, welcome. Hey, Katie. Thanks for having me back on. Great of to course. see you. So, um, guys, I just want to start by saying congratulations uh, for, on what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. Can you explain to people who exactly is on strike at this moment and why? So currently uh, for Stellantis, our plant is on strike. For Ford, there's a plant in Michigan. Or, yeah, I think it's Ford is a plant in Michigan and GM is a plant in Missouri. It's all plants that build uh, small trucks. So the International Union is specifically targeting the same type of vehicle. Uh, we build the, the Jeep Gladiator. And um, like the GM plant builds the Canyon. So um, they don't want to give one company an unfair advantage against another one. So that's the, that's the key thing there. If we're going to be striking, they're striking the same type of plant um, across all three companies, which this is historic. We've never struck all three companies at once. And also there was some, a surprise factor in it, right? Which ones you were going to be struck? Yeah, they, we didn't know until we got the text from the international if we were going to be going or if it was going to be a Sterling Height assembly plant. That's where they make the full-size trucks. And the company was rushing because I'm in the stock department, and they were rushing to figure out where to put engines, where to put parts. And it, was, it really caught them off guard. And can you tell us what you do, uh, Chris, what your job consists of? So I'm in the stock department. I am actually the cardboard recycling guy. We take all the excess cardboard, put it into a baler and uh, bale it up and ship it out to be recycled. So that's my current job. And how is your job affected by this strike? What kind of demands are being made? So there's there's a lot of core demands. The number one core demand uh, for me and for a lot of people I've talked to on the picket line have been the end of tiers. I am a tier two employee. I don't have a pension. Um, but I am topped out on wages and it took me almost 11 years to hit max pay. Um, we want to see that brought down to 90 days. We want to see it where these people come in. If they're doing the same work as me, they're on a forklift, they're on the line, they deserve the same pay. And Marcy, what do you do and how is your, is your job related to what you guys are demanding? So I'm an electrician at the plant and for trades, we basically keep the line running. You know, if there's a, a stop or a fault in production, the trades, usually they call the electricians first to go try to troubleshoot the problem. And, um, you know, because every second they're down is lost production. It's money, you know, lost. So, but I'm also the PM planner, the preventive maintenance planner for the paint department. 
I take care of the work orders uh, for all the trades for maintenance and paint and create work orders if, you know, work needs to be done for, for electricians, pipe fitters, millwrights, toolmakers, et cetera. And so what are the demands that are being made right now? You've mentioned some of them. Yeah. So, you know, wages. I mean, I've been saying that our wages have been stagnant, but I should really be saying that we've gone backwards. If you look at the wages 15 years ago, hell, even back in when Ford started with the $5 a day, you know, our, our wages with the with inflation have been going backwards. So, you know, we can't keep up. You know, these corporations are making billions in profit. And, you know, every year it's like we're struggling more and more. Like I can't even afford or I don't want to have to buy a, a new car. You know, the products we make are like the, the the cost of a small house, you know. And for me, since I'm not, um, trades come in all at the same pay rate. But since I'm not a legacy employee, um, I started in the UAW in 2013. I don't have a pension and I don't have a lifetime health care, which is something that's really important to me. But, you know, we're fighting for that across the board for more money for the retirees, Um you know, we're fighting for a 32-hour work week, you know, because these jobs are, are backbreaking jobs. And, you know, if they want people to to make quality products, you know, you, you should take care of the workforce. Maxie, do you want to add anything? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to hop in and say, first of all, thank you so much for having us on, Katie. Thank you for having Chris and Marcy on. They rock. Uh, if folks want to hear more from Chris and Marcy, um, you can go check out a great interview that I did with Chris for Breaking Points uh, right before the strike. And it ended up being and we were talking about what was going to happen. And then Chris's plan ended up being the one one of the three going on strike. Um, But then I also got to chat with Marcy along with two other incredible UAW members for my podcast. So we get to talk uh, more uh, extensively about these same questions if folks want to hear more. But I also wanted to throw in another worker's voice here, which I think is very uh, representative of what brought us to this moment and what workers like Chris and Marcy are fighting for. So um, this was a quote that was reported in Labor Notes. They've been doing excellent coverage of the strike. Everyone should go support them. But in a recent article, they quoted Brandon Sesniak, who's a 21-year-old plant worker at Michigan Assembly, who told uh, uh, Labor Notes, quote, people are angry. It's like a revolving door. It's not a career anymore. It's a job. They want us to buy Fords. But how can we buy a Ford on this pay? And Brandon makes $19 an hour. So there's so much contained in that, like the fact that Brandon, like Chris himself was, you know, is a lower tier worker. This has become, you know, like a, a scourge in the industry, just like it has in many other industries. I myself was a warehouse and factory temp 12 years ago, right? In the wake of the recession, I saw how many employers were using things like temps or people like temps, I shouldn't say things, but using systems like temps or creating different employment tiers where people hired after 2007 no longer get cost of living adjustments uh, with their pay, which would have come in really handy over the past two years when workers across the board have been getting our asses pummeled by inflation. Uh, Workers in the auto industry also lost defined benefit pensions in the recession. Uh, And that was all to keep this industry afloat. Let's not forget where we were in 2007, 2008, 2009, This industry was about to fall into a volcano and taxpayers bailed out two of the big three to the tune of $80 billion. At the same time, workers in the auto industry also 
bailed out the auto industry by opening their contracts and giving concessions like getting rid of COLA, getting rid of pensions, uh, defined benefit pensions. And remind people what COLA is. Cost of living adjustment um, to make sure that wages keep up with inflation. And then like the the, the explosion of uh, temp workers and, and uh, second tier workers, people who are essentially on the shop floor doing the same exact job as someone who's getting paid twice as much as them. Like that's going to really piss you off. It pissed me and everyone in the warehouses off because I was like, we're doing the same thing. But, but the guy next to me is not my enemy. It's my boss who's like created this Rube Goldberg system to exploit me. He's the problem. And so like all of this has kind of converged at the same time that, as we know, deindustrialization has meant not the decline of auto manufacturing. It has meant the offshoring of auto manufacturing to places like Mexico and beyond. It has meant that the auto workers have been able to push concessions on the UAW for decades. Because they could always say, if you guys get too uppity, if you push too hard, we will make you the next Flint. We will drop an economic nuke on your town, on your community. Chris knows he just had to move from one of those plants that was just shuttered. It destroys an entire community like Lordstown, so on and so forth. At the same time that all of this crap is happening, um, union density has been on the decline, yet working people have been working longer and harder, and we've been more productive. We've been generating more profits for our employers because since 2007 and 2008, when workers and, and taxpayers bailed out these auto industries and they promised that they would repay workers when they were back in the black, when the business was better, and then the business got better, and then Trump gave them a bunch of tax cuts, and then what did they do? They shuttered more plants and they laid off more workers and they gave themselves even bigger salaries and bigger shareholder buyouts while workers like Chris and Marcy are breaking their bodies for a for employers who are literally trying to negotiate away their responsibility to do the bare minimum of taking care of them and other retirees who have given decades of their lives to make those record profits. That's how we fucking got here. Sorry, that was a lot. Yeah, and I can I can talk on the outsourcing because the Belvedere plant we our compass went down to Mexico. The uh, the Patriot, which started in our plant, got rebranded the Renegade. That went to Italy, and then they just sent the Cherokee down to Mexico. So they've literally sent all of our products overseas. Yeah, and I've I've seen too what um plant closures can do to a community. I grew up on the southeast side of Chicago in steel mill town. And, you know, my parents, my, my dad, my grandfather worked in the mills. And, you know, when they shut those plants down, like it, it totally decimated our community, you know, and they left a toxic legacy, didn't clean up their shit. And we're still fighting, you know, industrial zoning and environmental racism in my neighborhood. And I, I used to work in Belvedere as well uh, for three years. And, you know, it was a lovely small city and, and the closing of that plant, hopefully it's not going to be closed but it would be devastating to that, that small community. Well, I wanted to actually um, uh, highlight a question we got in the super chat. Why didn't the massive strike happen? And when and under what conditions will more workers go out on strike? Then I have a lot more specific questions that I already planned, but I, I figured why not just address this question? I would say specifically they're targeting plants so we don't run our strike fund out. Because we have $850 million in the strike fund, and we're not the only ones out on strike. We have um, healthcare workers out on strike. We have other factory workers out on strike. The UAW is not just the auto industry. It is other workers. We have casino workers. We have service workers. There's a lot of people in the UAW. 
So we can't run out the strike fund just for us. Mm. Well, right. And I think too oh, that, um, oh, sorry. If they, um, you know, we were all anticipating like, or oh, it's going to be all of us or who's going to be right. You know, but in my opinion, if, if everybody went out, then the companies would still stall and just try to drain us out because they know, well, they're all striking. We'll see how, you know, how desperate they get after a month goes by, after two months goes by, you know, this strategy, which I'm trusting the process, it keeps the companies on their toes, right? It keeps them guessing. And nobody knew, like until two hours before the contract expired, who was going to be walking out. You know, we have another announcement coming up this Friday and it could be another, and we don't know who it's going to be, right? Yeah. Well, and just like, just to kind of hop in here, uh, rightfully after Chris and, and Marcy, because I don't want to like speak for the union. I'm not, I'm not a member of this union. I'm just a guy, right? I'm reporting on it. But I mean, like, I think one thing that I wanted to just underline for everyone watching, because I make, I've been getting this question a lot myself too. And I understand where the question's coming from. Uh, you know, you feel at a moment like this, like you want to hit the bosses with like the maximum amount of force. Um, that feels like the right thing to do, but I would just, uh, say to folks watching, um, you know, remember in 2019, like GM workers went on strike en masse um, and they frankly like got kind of screwed. They were they were pushed to go out on strike uh, without any real organizing happening at the grassroots. The leadership was not being transparent uh, with the membership about what they were striking for or how long it was going to be or what to do. Um, and we're in a very different position now than we were then. We haven't even talked about the incredible historic seismic reform movement that yeah. happened within the UAW that gave UAW members direct democratic control over, you know, like their union leadership, which allowed them to vote in Sean Fain and to uh, 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 vote uh, reform candidates into every uh, um, seat that, that they challenged. Um, but like what we are seeing now for the first time in the history of the UAW, as the great Teddy Ostro has reported, is that we had a contract campaign. We are seeing it happen in real time where Sean Fain and the union leadership and, and leadership at locals People organizing on the ground, they are making sure that their brothers and sisters are ready. There have been practice pickets because people have seen what it looked like when the UPS workers were doing that and they were getting all pumped up about it. Um, they've been disseminating information. Sean Fain has been more communicating more openly through Facebook Live with the membership. Um, so he's been getting folks ready. Now we get to the point where, you know, the union's ready. They're more informed. They're more mobilized. People are, are have more trust behind this new administration. They have more trust in themselves in the direction that they as a union are heading in. And so you don't want to just blow your wad like at that pivotal moment if you don't absolutely have to, like Chris and Marcy said, um, you can create a lot of pain for a, an industry that is so tightly interconnected and has parts coming from different spots. It's like, you know, like a grand assembly line. You, you fuck up like three parts of that. You can create a lot of economic damage, pardon my French, but also uh, you create a situation where those who are not on strike, who are still currently protected under status quo um, uh, from the previous contract. But if they do get temporary laid off, as some people have, they can collect unemployment. So that doesn't come directly out of the strike fund. Um, as we already said, like this gives the ability to the union bargaining team, if they get a shitty proposal, which it sounds like they're getting, they can go uh, back to Facebook Live and say, all right, more people come to the front. Let's ramp up the pain and we can keep doing that instead of just 
calling everyone out at once because then it becomes a war of attrition over who can withstand that economic pain for longer. And if you have, if the uh, bosses literally know how much is in the strike fund, they can calculate how long they have to wait. Right. And who is Sean Fain? Why is he so significant? How did he um, become elected and how was he able to defeat the kind of corrupt old guard? So the UAWD came through and proposed one member, one vote. We all voted on that due to the corruption that happened. Union members and presidents went to jail and they deserved it. And we got a lot of bad contracts because of that, because they were in bed with the companies. No one really talks about that. Like we got screwed for 15 years because they were in bed with the companies. Um, If we would have kept cola right now, Floor level workers would be making 46 bucks an hour. So us asking for 40% isn't that much. But Sean Fain has only been the president for five months. And I personally think he's done an amazing job. Um, he's had more transparency than I've ever seen in 13 years. And what was it before his one? Oh, sorry, Mark. Well, I'll ask you this and hand it to you. What was it before it was one person, one vote? What system was being used? They were, they were appointed right? All of our international leadership was appointed reps. Um, So this is the first time we've had elected uh, leadership, you know, on the international level. And so, yeah, he was saying, as Chris was saying, as uh, part of one member, one vote, you know, for UAWD or Unite All Workers for Democracy. um, I was part of that campaign in the beginning, trying to get folks, you know, organized to vote for this person they, they never heard of. You know, they're just like, oh, let's just stick with the status quo. And like, well, what has that gotten us? You know, this is my third contract I've been involved in. And like, look at the previous two contracts, you know, we're, we're not getting anything more. They make it seem like we're getting a little more, but we're not, we're going, you know, in a backwards direction. So it was a tight race. You know, I've got to say it was pretty close, almost parallel to, I like to compare it to the mayor of Chicago and Brandon Johnson, you know, uh, barely winning by 51, 2%, whatever. But now like just seeing the shift of, you know, people that were, you know, not supportive of Fane before. Now they're, you know, getting on board. They're getting organized. Like, you know, we're all um, psyched and pumped and, and, and fired up, you know, with, with the uh, constant updates that we're seeing, you know, like uh, Max was saying, you know, he's been the most transparent and, you know, that it's great to have like all these social media avenues. But even if you're, you know, not on social media, like there's there's texts, there's emails, you know, we didn't have this before. I, I don't ever remember hearing um, updates on contract negotiations. I mean, you know, I know we're not like privy to certain details, obviously, but just where we're going with this is, is in, in a good direction. Right. And we actually have um, a clip of Sean Fain, who I've shown on the on the show in the past because I was so excited by the type of person that he was, according to Jim Cramer, which was a kind of like the next Karl Marx uh uh, actually, or Trotsky, he, he seemed unclear which which uh, trope to lean into. But we have a video of him speaking on Face the Nation. And I think it's interesting what he says and also the way that Margaret um, Brennan uh, responds to him. Most pro-union president in American history, but you haven't endorsed him. We got to start from the very beginning with this. President thing. Biden says he's most pro-union president in American history, but you haven't endorsed him. What is it going to take for you to do that? Can I just comment? Not to ad lib too much. She looks really annoyed with him for not already endorsing him. Look at her face. Oh he says my he's God, most pro union president in American history, but you haven't endorsed him. What is she it going to take for you to do that? Uh, our endorsements are going to be earned. We've been very clear about that. No matter what politician, how does he earn it? 
um, we expect action. We expect action, not words. And, and you know, this, this fight we're in right now, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, uh, people are talking about them trying to interject themselves into, into our negotiations. You know, this, this negotiating, our negotiators are fighting hard. Our leadership's fighting hard. It's going to be one at the negotiating table with our negotiating teams, with our members manning the picket lines and our allies out there. Uh, who the president is now, yeah. who the former president was or, or the presidents before them isn't going to win this fight. This fight is all about one thing. It's about workers winning their fair share of economic justice in, okay. in, instead of being left behind as they have been in the last decades. So uh, it, that in itself is, is seems uh, unique. His, his not immediately trying to join the Joe Biden campaign. I mean, we see this happening time after time with uh, labor unions making themselves uh, pretty politically irrelevant in electoral politics by already giving an endorsement. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, Joe Biden, he was a proponent of NAFTA and look what that's done for us. Right, of course. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, what are your guys' thoughts on, on the claim that he's the most pro-union president, according to Joe Biden? Interesting source, but well, yeah. And, and there's, there's just so there's so much that's so telling about the 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 disdain in her voice, yeah. like yeah. asking that, like you ungrateful piece of shit. What are you and doing? And by proxy to to all of the union members and working people that Fane represents, you ungrateful pieces of shit. What does Joe Biden have to do to earn your vote? No, yeah. no, no, not that. What does Joe Biden have to do for you idiots to get it through your thick skulls that he's good for you? That yeah. is like the un, that is that is the very very thinly hidden subtext of what she's saying, and that is also the subtext the subtext or the overt text that is you know uh, that we're seeing in mainstream media in the coverage of this strike right now because that's the same tone with which I've heard you know incredulous pundits ask Fane and other union members and leaders like how could you possibly be fighting for a 32 hour work week but expect to get paid for a 40 hour work week like who gets paid for work that they don't do like this is just ridiculous well first things first i would say the bosses uh, at these companies get paid for a lot of work that they don't do they get paid for work that people like chris and marcy do uh, uh, uh Mary Barrett does not do enough to earn $29 million a year. I'm sorry. There's just no human way that that is possible. She does it by exploiting and extracting from her workforce who are breaking their backs, breaking their bodies every day. But the other thing that I want to say that I promise I will shut up is just for anyone who is getting that same sort of disdain thrown at them when they're asked, like, how could you expect to work 32 hours and get paid for 40? Well, how is that any less ridiculous than working people working 50 hours? 60 hours, 70 hours, and getting paid for 40 hours of work. Because that is the situation that we are actually in, where this is what Bernie Sanders famously called a race to the bottom, where people can be working longer and harder and they're more productive and yet their take-home pay is going down the cost of living goes up the, the the once good career at a place like gm or ford is now a job where you can only get hired as a temp and be fired like that that is how like we that is why we need to fight not just for a shorter work week but a more solid understanding of the value of our labor and what we produce for them right and as, as Brian points out, by the way, of course, Biden broke the rail worker strike. I, I think it's funny, though, that 
that uh, Biden, I think I saw him earlier this week, say that he was going to come down or send somebody down to negotiations. Like, wait, wait, who invited you? Like Sean Payne has said, you know, explicitly, like, uh, this is our fight. This is the workers' fight. This is the members' fight. And we don't need these, you know, ruling class elites to come and fix this problem. We're going we're gonna to have to win these fights. Right. Well, speaking of Mary Barra, uh, she is featured in a clip uh, segment that uh, Face the Nation did on this strike. Brad, can we go to the clip, the other Face the Nation clip? We can start that at 121. Is and Mary Barra is the CEO rate. of, um, she's the CEO of GM. And she made, uh, how much did she make? I believe she was paid um, for compensation. Million. Yeah, 28.98 million in 2022. Yeah, the highest paid of the three CEOs. So let's take a look at, at um, CBS's Face the Nation covering the strike and even chatting with Mary Barra. The union is seeking a 36% raise with cost of living increases to counter inflation, the unwinding of concessions made during the Great Recession, and worker protection as the companies transition to less labor-intensive electric vehicles. They also want a four-day work week and a return of pensions. Both are non-starters for the automakers. The big three are offering about a 20% raise. It's a record from a gross wage increase perspective in our 115-year history. Can GM be successful if you met all their demands? Uh, actually, um, no. The life of the contract, the initial demands were over $100 billion. Uh, we're, we still have a ways to go. GM now expects to idle a plan in Kansas, and Ford announced 600 temporary layoffs blamed on ripple effects from the strike. It would have been nice if he had pushed back on that response where she said they couldn't afford to meet their demands and asked her what her salary was. That's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. No, it's like just straight up proper. It's like I would if I were Mary Barr, I'd be so thrilled with that question. They they don't look at the the numbers. The hard numbers are like we make about two hundred and ten to two hundred and fifty dollars an hour for the auto companies for every hour we work. We get about $15 an hour in compensation for our benefits and insurance. And then if we're topped out, that's $32 an hour. So they're walking away with somewhere between $175 and $200 an hour off of every hour we work. They could double our wage and it would have no effect on their bottom line. They would still make record profits and billions of dollars. You know, they're just being greedy. Every, every cent that we try to take from them they're going to fight, you know, and they think that that we weren't going to notice how, you know, like how their salaries have increased so much in, in, the, in these past few decades, even, you know, where whereas, uh, you know, they're 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 making up for lost time, you know, raking in all their millions. And meanwhile, we're still, you know, we're like I said, we're going backwards. Right. And I don't think people know also how hard so many of these jobs are. Uh, I don't think people have a sense of that. Can you guys share what the reality is for not just yourselves, but for, for your colleagues? Yeah, when I, when I started, when I was uh, 18, I worked putting uh, body harnesses in and the trim line, and my hands would be locked like this when I'd wake up and I'd have to pry them open. Like, and that was making uh, $16 an hour back then. And they still pay people the same amount that I started at in 09. Like they pay them the same amount today in 2023. There has been no increase. And even over the last four years, we've lost 
about 14% of our wage to just to inflation. So four years ago, when the contract was signed, I made more than I make now. Marcy, I know you're there with your daughter. I want to know if she wants to say anything about, I know she's gone with you to protest. So is there anything you want to say? Hi. Um, Are you proud of your mom? Yeah. Why is this stuff important, do you think? Um, for the people. Yeah, for the people, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell us about, about your mom or what she's doing or um, what, you, what, what you want to do when you grow up? Then I'm glad that she, like, let me grow up this way because I feel like it gives me another perspective on the world. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. She says I'm tired all the time. It's like, you know, we work crazy shifts, right? These plants work, run 24-7. They're, you know, most of them aren't, don't have air conditioning, you know, so in the right. summertime, it could be, it could be 100 degrees outside, and we all know with climate change, you know, it's getting worse, right? 100 degrees outside, it's 120 in the plant. In the paint shop, working by ovens that are 500 degrees, you know, if I have to go troubleshoot an oven that goes down, you know, it's still going to be, that radiant heat is still there, right? Or if I have to go to the rooftop, to troubleshoot something up there, you know, like, yeah, it, it can, it could take a toll and and not just that, but in the paint shop, particularly, you know, there's exposure to fumes and, and other hazards, you know? Right. And for so many of these people, I mean, you said this at the beginning, but for so many workers now, once they're done, they don't have anything. They don't have a pension. Yeah. When we, when we're done, say I do 30 years, um, I'm quitting. When I'm done, it's not, it's not retiring. It's right. quitting. Yeah. And I, I have, you know, we have a 401k, but you know, depending on, on the economy and the market, the stock market, a lot of us took a hit with, you know, our little, you know, 401k package we had, you know, in the last uh, couple of years, you know, since the pandemic, um, it was fluctuating and, and, and I lost quite a bit of money and, you know, that's no guarantee. Right. Yeah. So, um, Chris, what is it like for you now that you're on strike? I mean, how did you react to finding out? And how did you find out you were going to be on one of the plants on strike? We got a text from International, and then we had our break time at 10 o'clock at night. And so everyone was sitting at the break table watching Sean Fain do his speech. And we were, we were super excited. Um, about a half hour before we went out, Skilled Trades came through and shut down most of the machines. Because, yes, we want to hurt them and we want to make sure they understand that we, the workers, have the power to produce the products and make the money. But at the same time, we want a factory to come back to. We, you know, a lot of us are very proud of what we make and what we do. And we want to come back to our product and make good money. And we're proud. But when, when we found out there was excitement in the air, there's been excitement for, for weeks about it. People have been very justifiably ready to go because um, especially at my plant, they've been cutting jobs. They've been combining jobs together. They've been uh, not following safety protocols when it comes to quite a few things. Um, I'm not going to speak on the specifics, um, but there's, there's a lot of things that they're doing, especially at Stellantis to, um, to put the screws on us. And you're talking about like our plant has 5,000 full-time workers and we have a thousand temps. So one in six people is a temporary worker. That's absurd because those people need to be here six days a week and they don't even get days off. And and isn't that like, that's another way that these companies, you know, put us workers against each other. You know, we have people that are like, there's, there's no, uh, 
good sense of morale, you know, when, when you're working on the line across from somebody making double what you're, you're making and you think like, well, they have more protections, you know, they have more security, job security, you know, so. Like why should you be aligning with them when they have it, they have it so good. There, right. there's, a, there's a lot of animosity. And when I started, there was a lot of animosity because we were making, you know, $15, $16 an hour in comparison with them making $28. Um, it's, it's hard to work next to someone that's making twice as much as you and they're doing the same job. So I lived through that and, you know, I understand where they're coming from. And for solidarity purposes, we need to all be brought up to the same wage. Right. Which is why the no tears is such an important part of the demands. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Trump uh, the other day. Did, he was asked about this. All right, sorry. I, I, I try not to focus on Trump on my show, but this is this is a kind of entertaining clip. Um, uh, Brad, can we show Trump on uh, Meet the Press? And I want to start by talking about this big standoff between the auto workers and the big three auto manufacturers. Yeah. My question for you, Mr. President, whose side are you on in this? Uh, I'm on the side of uh, making our country great. Uh, the auto workers uh, are not going to have any jobs when you come right down to it, because if you take a look at what they're doing with electric cars, electric cars are going to be made in China. The auto workers are not going to have any. I'll tell you what. The auto workers are being sold down the river by their leadership and their leadership should endorse Trump. The reason is. You got to have choice. Like in school, I want school choice. I also want choice for cars. If somebody wants gasoline, Our if choice. somebody wants all electric, they can do whatever they want. But they're destroying the consumer and they're destroying the auto workers. The auto workers will not have any jobs, Kristen, because the, all of these cars are going to be made in China. The electric cars automatically are going to be made in China. So let's talk about UAW's leadership. The president, Sean Fain, has withheld his endorsement of President Biden. But this is what he had to say about you. Quote, another Donald Trump presidency would. Oops. That's weird. Technical difficulties. Yeah, I don't know what happened with the. It's OK. We don't need. Well, uh, I, mean, I can probably finish that sentence. Another. Yeah. Another presidency would be devastating. Yeah. First of all, fuck Trump and anything yeah. that comes out of his mouth, because like, how dare he? Didn't he say that we already make too much money? And this is coming from someone that hasn't lifted a finger in his life, right. inherited his money, you know, so fuck him again. But also trying to pit us against other workers around the world against, you know, um, the climate crisis saying that nobody wants EV. That's not true. You know, we need a just transition to electric vehicles. You know, I would love to buy an EV or PHEV, but those are even more expensive too, you know? Right. So and those workers aren't, aren't union yet. Yeah. So I was, I was real. Oh, Chris, please go. Yeah. So, uh, one thing I'd like to point out is Trump went to the Lordstown plant and told those people, not to sell their houses, to not move. And look what happened to that plant. He didn't stand behind his word. So we're not going to fucking trust him. Yeah. But at the same time with Biden, if he really wants to be the best pro-union president, why not bring back Joy Silk? There's so many different things that he could do and has in his power, but isn't doing so. So I, I was really, really trying to like hang back in the cut because I, I was talking too much in the first half and I wanted to let Chris and Marcy talk. But like, I will say one more thing about Trump and I promise that's it for me. But this fucking guy, I cannot stand right now. Right. And my dad voted for Trump. I grew up a conservative. So like, you know, like I got a dog in this fight. I have seen firsthand what Trump's message 
you know, like how it appealed to working people and what he did in return for working people, which was Jack shit. He served himself. He served his rich and ruling class friends and any and every time working people who try, who looked to him, hoping that he would help tried to make good on his promises, asked him to make good on those promises. He tossed them into the gutter like that. Lordstown is the perfect example because this is very personal to me, not because I am a member of the UAW, not because I work in the auto industry, but in the first season of my show, Working People, when I was still getting the hang of podcasting, I interviewed so many GM workers in Lordstown, in uh, Pontiac, in Michigan, in Oshawa, Canada, And it was just devastating to hear from them, especially in Lordstown, Ohio. And that's a very historic, very famous plant. Google it. Um, But at that plant, Trump came in 2017. He held a rally in Youngstown and he told the same auto workers that I talked to that they should not sell their homes because, and I quote, we're bringing all those manufacturing jobs back. Don't sell your homes. We found the magic wand to bring the jobs back, I think is exactly what he said. And then in 2018, the Monday after Thanksgiving, GM workers came to work and learned that after receiving a massive tax cut from Donald Trump, uh, that uh, GM was going to be eliminating 14,000 jobs and unallocating basically shuttering the Lordstown plant among others. And Trump did nothing. He did nothing to help them. And now he is trying to deflect once again and try to suggest that like, oh, China's like the the, the problem or like the transition to green uh, 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 electric cars is the problem. Like no one in the UAW gives a shit about that. Like, I mean, the Republicans are showing how little they actually know or care about the working people that they want to claim as their own when they say, oh, we're the party of the of the working class and we're going to go give our rich friends and, and billionaires and, and companies more tax cuts and keep doing the same old thing. Thank you for having me on. Solidarity with the UAW. Solidarity forever. Thank you. And last last question I have is just, Chris, you mentioned bringing back Joy Silk. Could you tell people what that is, the NLRB doctrine? Joy Silk is a really simple doctrine. It means that if the majority of the employees um, vote to become a part of the union, if they fill out their cards and it's the majority, immediately the employer has to uh, talk to that union in good faith. Like they have to recognize the union. We haven't had that doctrine in a really long time. If we have that, it makes it much easier for uh, factories, workplaces. It really doesn't matter. It makes it easier for everyone to unionize. And again, if he wants to be considered the most pro-union president, he probably shouldn't be breaking railroad uh, strikes and he probably should be implementing positive things in the NLRB. Right. And I was going to add, too, about uh, Biden, if he wants to uh, earn our endorsement is, you know, like these government, the, the tax breaks like like we're talking about given to the companies to build these plants is this, you know, EV plants and battery plants. Um, they're getting all this, all this money, these tax breaks, and they're creating these joint ventures and going in and right to work states where they don't have to be organized. You know, this, this is all done with, with our money. So labor needs a seat at the table, right? We need to be, we need to be in, in these rooms, in these meetings and making sure it's a just transition, transition to EVs. All right. Well, yeah. Th- yeah. Sorry, Chris. And yeah. and one simple thing, like at our Toledo plant, we have a lot of transfers that are from Perrysburg Machining and from the engine plant because they've been cutting jobs and shuttering lines there. 
instead of building battery battery lines. And they have the space and they have the capital. They could do it and it would be under our master contract, but they're not because they want to pay $12, $15 an hour. Well, where how can we support the striking workers? And please share any final words. And this has been so nice. You guys have been so uh, generous with your time. I really appreciate it. So for, for my local, um, you can contact the hall directly. I know currently we don't need any more water. Um, we do want like, um, if, if people want to drive around our plant, uh, they've been doing convoys. If you come to any of the striking plants, drive around the gates and honk. Just showing up and honking shows your solidarity with us. It's super simple. Anyone can do it. Just drive around. And if you have the time, come stop and talk to us. Like we love having people you know, come and they can come on the line with us and they can come chat with us and learn what our struggles actually are. Great. And don't go anywhere. We're going to, we're going to, we have another whole next segment of the show. So uh, sit tight, everyone, except for you, Marcy and Chris, you can of course leave. Um, thank you so much for coming. I, I felt weird. Like I was kicking you out. You can stay of course, but I mean, you're tired <laughs> from answering me. questions. I'm sure. So um, thank you for your service and your generosity. And we will have you back on because we definitely want to be kept abreast of what's happening. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for coming thank on. Thank you so much for uh, for having me here. Of course. Bye. All right. Well, we're going to wish them the best of luck and we're going to keep in touch with them. And then we're going to put links in the description about how to support their, uh, their strike. And uh, we're going to move to the next segment of the show. Uh, very excited to be bringing on to the show um, Alice Nascimento, an organizer, advocate, and campaigns director of New York's Community for Change, uh, one of the largest community-based advocacy organizations in the U.S., and Arne McConey, the founder and former executive director of SOS Outreach, one of the country's largest outdoor experimental youth programs for low-income children, a former Colorado County Commissioner and current writer on foreign policy and climate and social justice. So, Arne and Alice, welcome. Thanks for having me, Katie. Of course. Hi, Katie. Thank you. Of course. So, you guys both got arrested for blocking the Federal Reserve. Can you explain to us what you were doing there, why you chose the Federal Reserve to block? Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.